Hey, I'm Taylor Dorson, and this is the Professional Technical Interviewee. Technical interviews are hard, and every company does them differently. On this show, I interview engineering leaders to see what they look for in technical candidates, and then they perform a real technical interview with me. I hope you enjoy. Chris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Taylor. Appreciate it. Yeah, thanks so much for, for being here. Uh, give you an introduction. Uh, Chris Powers, you're currently the Director of Engineering at Chegg for the Skills Division. Um, before mm-hmm. that, you were with Thinkful, which I think came to, to Chegg through an acquisition. Yeah, Thinkful uh, was acquired by, by Chegg a couple of years ago, yep. Yeah, great. And before that, um, that uh, other Chicago-based companies like Sprout Social and Groupon, and then you also have a coding series based off of clean code in the browser through uh, cleancoders.com. Did I miss anything? It's like you read my bio or something. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, great. Uh, well, could you share a little bit about um, Chegg and kind of your division and, and uh, what your team does? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, anyone who's been to college in the last 10 years knows the name Chegg. Now, I didn't, so I was a little, <laughs> a little unsure about what Chegg was at first, but it's one of the biggest ed tech companies. Um, it's a publicly traded company. It owns the college market. Like if you're in a college course and you want homework help, you want to, uh, you know, be able to have additional resources for tutoring, for figuring out like at, at the end of the chapter in your textbook, there's like those questions that they have. And well, we, we help you know what the answer is and how you get to those answers so that you can have more immersive learning experience. So I've talked to a lot of people who are just like so glad that they've got check in their pocket, helps them get through organic chemistry and like sure. some of these very technical kind of things. Um, now, my neck of the woods is a little different because in Chegg Skills, we're focused on moving from the learning side of things to earning. And we're specifically mm-hmm. creating content and courses for students who are usually post-collegiate um, and are either interested in job changes or maybe like me, got kind of a useless degree and now needs to figure out a plan B. And so we help people get into technical fields like uh, software engineering, UX, UI, product management, things along those lines. Um, and we've been seeing a lot of great growth inside of the overall Chegg ecosystem. Nice. That's, that's great. Uh, can you share a little bit about the, the tech stack and the kind of technologies your team uses? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so two years ago, we were still a Series A startup. Um, we, you know, a few engineers had thrown together a lot of, uh, you know, plucky, scrappy <laughs> uh, code in Python, and it was okay. delivering value to our users, but it was not the kind of thing that you were going to be able to uh, to scale and, and build upon the way that now we need to in a different environment. And as we're growing at a much different rate um, in as part of the larger Chegg uh, organization. And so uh, we have a lot of systems that are running in, uh, in Python and in Flask with uh, React front ends. Um, and that all is, is good, continuing to, uh, it's, but it's kind of like the, the echoes of the past, whereas where we're moving towards, it's actually kind of a novel tech stack. Um, we're building microservices using Kotlin, uh, using gRPC as the, the protocol. Um, we're using a lot of change data capture or CDC techniques in order to replicate data between systems um, and doing a lot of like data streaming between microservices um, so that they can kind of stay in sync with some of the state moving around. So um, it's still, we're, we're still doing a lot of investment and in building in that new stack. And like over time, we're kind of taking things from here and starting to rebuild it and move it over. 
Um, and so it's uh, it's been a really interesting challenge, and it's been cool to see the team uh, making the decisions about what we're going to be the best technologies for us to be investing in to power the next five years, 10 years, 15 years of Chegg skills. Yeah, that, that that's interesting. I was going to ask, was <clears throat> were those decisions that, you know, stuff that existed already at Chegg proper and then stuff that you adopted or were those decisions that was made in the, the skills or kind of the thinkful um, side of things and then, as you know, you've just implemented? Um, largely unique actually. Um, and I think the one of the interesting things about our larger organization is that we do have the ability to build what's right for Chegg skills, because on one hand, there's a lot of similarities across the entire organization to what we're doing technically. But on the other hand, we are doing some very unique things and the business model that we have is unique. So it makes sense to have tooling that is kind of equally unique as well. And so, um, you know, kind of leading that group, my main concern was, um, how do I make sure that we're building the technology that allows us to be faster and more nimble and better equipped to solve the needs of our students next year than this year? Because oftentimes it's the opposite. You build stuff now and it only holds you back in the future. So we put a lot of investment into trying to figure out how to create an acceleration as we move forward. Yeah. That's great. So you mentioned, um, you know, a useless degree. Can you share a little bit about your pathway into technology? <laughs> yes, uh, it was an awkward uh, path into technology. Um, so my degree is in music. I actually attended a conservatory of music um, and uh, was playing percussion. And my, uh, my love was always playing the drum kit, although I was playing the room of the timpani and the, you know, just the whole, the whole thing, right? Um, and so I have a, yeah, my degree is a BM, a bachelor's of music, not even a bachelor's of arts. Uh, so I tried to be a rock star after college for a few years. Uh, it was fun, did not succeed <laughs> and did not, uh, did not manage to pull, pull together uh, much money along the way to, you know, subsist. And so I, you know, I had kind of like, I'd always been doing video production and audio production. And so I was like fairly technically savvy, but I always thought the code was like a whole other thing, right? Like that was just what other people smarter than me were doing. Um, but when my band needed a website and we were way too poor to pay anybody to build it for us, I was like, ah, I'll get Dreamweaver and give this a whirl. Um, and then I rebuilt our website 10 times over, you know, like just, playing around with stuff, experimenting, starting to learn new, learn new things. Um, and then at some point, I still remember the day I was like, what was that? I was living in the, in the outskirts of Pittsburgh. And I was like, you know, looking around for, for jobs. And I saw that a local newspaper was looking for a webmaster, sure. <laughs> whatever that is. And, that. and I applied for it and they wrote back. They were like, Hey, looks good, but I don't know. You seem like you might be um, you might have too much experience for this role. I was like, what? Like I've, all I've done is like freelanced a few things, like messed around with stuff. But yeah, when I figured out that people actually would want to pay me to, you know, write software, that was, uh, quite a realization. So I took my, my hobby of, you know, programming and my profession of music and I kind of swapped them and it worked out pretty well. <laughs> so I've been doing that for the last 16 years. Um, it, it spent, um, I don't know, the first for seven or eight years, but uh, doing, uh, you know, focusing on the craft of building software. Mm -hmm. And then I've been more in the management tier for the last seven or so years. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you. That, that's, that's, uh, 
good to to hear. I I used to make a living telling jokes and acting, so uh, I, can, I can commiserate that you know software pays a lot better than <laughs> than you know free chicken wings and beers, right? <laughs> yeah, you know it's it's a bit of a plus, um, but I think it's it's one of the reasons why when when I first found Thankful. Um, and it was kind of a, it was a passive thing. Like a, a recruiter just reached out to me, like so many do mm-hmm. for some reason that caught my eye. And when I saw what Thinkful was doing, my immediate thought was like, Oh, if only, if only this had existed back in like 2004, 2005, um, you know, because I, I just, it was all self-taught. Like I just, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I had an, enough savvy and enough time that I could go to the library get some books, read through them, figure out how to, how to do stuff. And, and I learned software development through that. Um, also got lucky that there were tools like uh, Ruby on Rails that had just come on, on the market and on the scene and were, you know, easier to get into than maybe some of the previous systems. Right. But, sure. um, but yeah, I mean, I had, my wife was working at, um, at Starbucks at the time as a barista and she would wake up at like four in the morning in order to do the opening shift and I would like get up at the same time and I'd pull out my PHP and my SQL book, the big purple thing. And I'd just like be flipping through it, screwing around with stuff before I had to go to the day job. Um, and I was like, that's, that was a way to get into the industry. I don't think I would recommend it to anybody, right? Sure, um, sure. How much better to have, uh, you know, a product like Thinkful where we have actually kind of like paved the way um, and have people, mentors, human, you know, real, <laughs> real life uh, mentors who are in the industry to be able to work with the students and help them both like, you know, figure out how to do things in the correct way. Oh, if only I had had that back in the day. And also to understand like, what does it mean to be a professional software developer? Like what, sure. what was it like to, to be part of a team and, and things like that, that I had to, you know, learn haphazardly <laughs> over the way. So it's, uh, it still takes a lot. Our students are very dedicated, but um, it's awesome to be able to see people uh, having an easier on-ramp to the same kind of experience that I muddled through years ago. Yeah, I, I tell a lot of folks when they ask, like, like, what do I need to do if I want to switch careers or how do I get into this? And I say, I'll point them in some resources, right? Like, go do this and sure. do this every single day for 30 days, see if you even enjoy it, right? Just make sure you actually like, mm-hmm. enjoy this. But then second, if you do, okay, now it's time to take some leap. Like, you need some... You don't necessarily need some outside resource, right? But it is going to, instead of taking a year to two years or however long it might take you to make this transition, it'll speed you up considerably, right? If you have someone who's actually helping you get through those roadblocks, instead of it being, you know, you spend an entire day banging your head against the wall um, on this one thing, someone else can go, oh, you know, here's this concept, right? And you go, oh, thing, right? It takes you 13 minutes instead. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. speed, Speed up significantly. Um, you mentioned uh, this this current job came through, um, you know, just just a recruiter reached out, and that's what led you to to Thinkful, which then led you, led you to Chad. That is correct. Yeah, yeah. yeah it was it was kind of serendipitous. I don't. I, I still wonder what it was exactly about the that one recruiter email that caught my eye. Um, sure. But it but it did, and I found that one of the things that I had really been been interested in, or at least that I had felt was lacking, um, you know, Groupon, Sprout Social, great companies good products, you know, the, the people who use those products enjoy them, right? Um, so there's, you know, good businesses. That said, um, not a lot of people when I was at Groupon were passionate about coupons. Sure. Was not their, their life's passion, right? Like they always had to, um, you'd be in interviews and you'd be kind of like pitching, well, why is this the, a good place? It's more like, oh, well, this is a, a major technology company in Chicago. 
right? Or, hey, let me tell you about the stack and the kind of like things that we're doing there. Let me tell you about the kind of tests and quality and care that we put into the software. And maybe that's not like how your current company is, right? And like, those are the kinds of things that you're trying to convince people, you should come over here because the water's fine. You know, and, and, that's, and that is fine. <laughs> but after that, after I realized that Sprout Social, I think it was when I, I couldn't understand why do people use Instagram? I don't get it. It's just like the same as Facebook. It's just pictures. People share. I don't understand. I'm like, this is the wrong industry for me. I do not belong here. Um, but I, I wanted to be able to connect to the mission of the actual product rather than these proxies to it. Not how we, I, I didn't want to just love how we build the, the product or like the, the people you know, and the people the connection to people is really important. But if that's the only thing that you're excited about, like you're still missing out on an opportunity to be connected to what the, you know, we're literally shipping to our customers. Right. Yeah. Um, and so I started thinking, and I, I feel like a lot of people in the industry have started thinking like education, healthcare, nonprofit, like there's some of these sectors that are starting to become more interesting, I think, to folks who have been there, they've done that, they've done a few different technical companies, and now they're looking for more meaning in the day-to-day, -day, and they're looking for that meaning to boil all the way up into the organization that they're in, rather than just their own craft that they are, and the people around them are using. And so that ultimately was really what sold me on Thinkful, was being so aligned with and in love with the product itself and the outcomes it was having in people's lives uh, still got me hooked. <laughs> and that's yeah. the thing that when I, when I'm doing interviews and when I'm talking to folks, um, I'm looking for that. I'm looking for like, why, why are you super excited? Or, you know, like you should be super excited to work on this because that means you're aligned with the mission. And if you're not, you know, it's not for everybody. That's, that's fine. But like, you're also not going to be successful here because you got to be able to tap into that. That's what pulls our team together and helps make us successful. Yeah, I love it. And, and that, that, like you said, that's the stuff that when you go, ah, I could I could chill for the rest of the day or am I excited to push this thing out because this is going to help, you know, and get us closer to this mission that we're all driving towards, right? Uh, so it, yeah. yeah, yeah, I mean, I think there's that. I think the um, kind of anecdotally, I think the team that I have now and have had for the last three years, I've had the least number of personnel issues and the least amount of like people not getting along problems that I've had to just like sort out as a manager. I've had the least amount of that in this team. And I have a running hypothesis that at least part of that is because, you know, we're finding common understanding and common value in what we're doing. And that to some extent, you can kind of let some stuff go if you know that everybody is bound together by this mission. It just kind of, it makes everything flow a little bit better. Sure. I love it. I, have you done technical interviews lately for, for your team or your division? So um, I have not been involved in any probably in the last year or, or two. Um, I've been involved in designing them um, with, with the team. Um, I usually end up being doing more of the behavioral um, kinds of, of interviews, um, just cause I, you know, cause I think it's easier for our engineers to be doing the more tactical ones. I feel yeah. like I, I could, but I'm like, let's create room for the rest of the team to be able to engage that level and have those like in the trenches insights, because at the end of the day, they need to decide, is this someone 
who I want to be working next to me. And I'm going to be picking up their slack or they're going to be picking up my slack. Um, so I've kind of reserved it for that. Yeah. When you're as a, I guess, what is that technical interview process evaluating for? Do you have kind of a criteria that you're specifically looking for in those, those interviews? Yeah. So our, our overall um, kind of interviewing strategy uh, that we have right now is, you know, a phone screen with the hiring manager. Uh, it's half sell and half, like, let's just make sure you understand like what it is that you'd be signing up for. And let's make sure that you're really well aligned to that mission. Cause if you're not, there's no point in, in us moving forward. Right. Um, and if we've got that down, then we have uh, two 45 minute technical sessions. The first one is the, you know, um, live coding hands on keyboard. We're literally going to write a little bit of software. Uh, second one is the, the whiteboarding-ish. <laughs> All of this is a little more challenging on Zoom, you know, but uh, it's, the, it's the more architecture, higher level thinking, systems level thinking kind of stuff. And then we wrap it up with, um, you know, the Czech organization, we have leadership competencies and we specifically use those in order to understand uh, how somebody has tapped into those leadership competencies in their previous roles. And so we have questions about those. Nice. Great. Well, that's a pretty straightforward process. I, I mean, that's it's always good to see you when there's not eight steps, right? <laughs> and you could yeah, probably get through that lot. in a week or two, right? That's a lot. Yeah. Well, that yeah. was. Um, I, I just I've hired two people in the last three weeks. Um, we've we've been doing some growth and, and doing some hiring, which has been great. But mm -hmm. an interesting conversation with um, uh, so one of the guys that I hired. He's got like th I don't know, like thirty years of experience that he's coming to the table with. You know, super yeah. senior tenured guy. Um, and, and, you know, it, I think it just, uh, <laughs> grizzled is the wrong word, but I feel like, you know, sure. over a period of time, you kind of question some of the things, uh, in the industry. And he was kind of like, you know, do, do, the interviews even really do anything. He's like, do, do you really actually learn, learn the things that kind of power your yes, no, or is it just kind of like, or is it really just a lot wrapped around your gut instinct and a resume? And, yeah. and, and it's just that. Um, and I can understand how people would say that. Uh, the answer is no, though. The answer is it is more than that um, because there is meaningful risk reduction. It's not all the risk being reduced. That's not going to happen. But you can have meaningful uh, risk reduction as part of the interview process. And that's, and that's how I designed it. I designed it to say, what are the risks that we rule out in the phone screen? Then what are the risks that we're ruling out in, you know, the first technical, the second technical, and then, you know, that, that last piece that is the behavioral piece. Um, and I think that when you actually write it down and say, like, we want to cut people out at this layer because of these reasons, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, phone screen. If they're not telling me uh, in, in detail why it is that they are psyched about getting into ed tech and why they're psyched about even specifically, like, the Thinkful product, um, that's, that's not going to work. We're just going to cut loose. It's fine. Just, just not good. Right. First, uh, technical interview. We're going to find out if you can write five lines of code sure. <laughs> and boy, uh, I will never stop being surprised at the number of people who don't, yeah, yeah. I'm not even going to say can't because I, I don't know you, right? Like, I don't know what they can do. I know what I observe them doing inside of what is admittedly kind of a contrived interview situation, right? Okay, yeah. But it's, it's what we've got though. Like that's, that's our window into this person's capabilities. Mm 
And so we know whether they did put five lines of code together <laughs> yeah. in a way that was coherent and hopefully successful, um, or, or they didn't. And the folks who didn't, we closed the door. Um, you know, and I, I guarantee you, I have closed the door on at least one person who I'm sure would have actually in real life have been awesome. Sure. But I also closed down like 10 people who, who would not have been right. And yeah. I'll take those odds. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And it's actually an interesting way to think of it is we are trying to almost minimize risk in this potential hire, um, is a useful thought process, um, going into it. And one that I haven't really, I, I don't know. It, there's almost two different mindsets is that mindset. And then like, let's think of all the reasons why this person is a yes. Right. Which I think both of them had advantages, but both of them have some flaws as well. And I guess it depends largely on what your, what your specific team might need too, right. There might be different, different cases yeah. that uh, could be useful. Well, cause it is, and I do think about them both, but they serve two different purposes. So you've got risk reduction and then mm -hmm. you've got what I kind of think of as creating room for awesome to happen, mm. Cre creating room for them to show you something that isn't just not bad, but it is genuinely something to get excited about. Yeah. You know? And like, I mean, you, we've all been in interview loops where you do the debrief at the end and everybody's like, yeah, they were fine. Sure. Yeah, they were fine. And you go around the whole, whole group and everyone's like, eh, I'm not going to say no is basically what it is. Well, right. do you want to hire the person where just no one said no? No, you don't want that, right? Yeah. So you want to either you want to have people who are uh, have gotten observations through the interview process and strongly say no. <laughs> they couldn't code. They couldn't talk about architecture. They were, you know, not a pleasant person to be on a call with. Like whatever sure. those things are, right? The strong no's, and then you're looking for the strong yeses to say. I actually got excited about how fast they were, or mm. they brought up this idea. I never even thought about that before. Or like they, oh man, it was awesome talking to them. They had such a great personality and brought an energy to the room. Whatever those things might be, you want to create the room for, for the awesome to happen. And then hopefully between those two things, like you decide what's, what's the baseline below which we cannot accept one, uh, somebody, and then they decide the kind of like extra energy and value and like excited stuff that they bring to the table. And yeah. hopefully then you're able to, you know, have everybody feeling really strongly one way or the other out of this. Yeah. I think that, so having done a lot of recruiting in the past, the worst thing to hear was like, Oh, this person is like a maybe for us. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> let's just, let's just say it's a no right now. Cause if they're a maybe they're, they're going to stay a maybe and eventually become a no, let's just tell them they're a no right now. We don't have to drag it on for two weeks. Right. As I, I, uh, yep. Yeah, I think you have to be enthusiastic one way or the other. <laughs> yeah, um, and I've seen organizations try to solve for that by doing things like, I think it was at Amazon who originally did the bar raiser program. Mm -hmm. They're like, oh, well, we're going to have super interviewers who yeah. are like, you know, the bar raisers. And I, I never saw that worked. I just saw that like funnel into people who liked being opinionated and now had found a way that they could be all kinds of opinionated. And they're like, you know, I, I've got the, I got the veto card right here yeah. in order to tell all y'all that you're wrong. Right. Um, I, I don't know, maybe it, maybe it works for some organizations. I have no taste for it. And the reason is because it's trying to make up for what the culture lacks. Yeah. The culture of the interviewing was just missing the idea that we do want to bring people in who are going to not just be a cog, but are going to like bring something interesting and new 
into the space, right? Mm -hmm. They're going to do it technically, culturally, you know, through the ways that they, that they think through diversity, those are the things that they're going to bring. And, and it's going to be more than just filling a hole in the team. Yeah. Um, and I think when you look at it like that, then you start to realize that like, eh, they're fine. Well, that, that only fills the hole. We got to sure. be better than that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going to be an ad, right? Not just a stopgap. Uh, for yeah. anyone who isn't aware of the, the bar raiser, uh, it's an interesting, I say an interesting concept, an interesting experiment. Um, and I think it basically boils down to this interviewer comes in to evaluate that this person they're interviewing is better than 60% or 70% of the people in that role at Amazon, right? And it's an interesting concept for anyone who hasn't come across it to, to look up. Uh, and I think they're one of the few companies that does that, or at least does that very explicitly. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And again, it's, uh, you know, uh, I have never worked in Amazon, so different uh, problems that they're trying to solve. But yeah. the, I think the, the, the general gist of it is, is good. There is a question about execution. Yeah, sure. So in the past, um, when you've been in technical interviews yourself, how do you feel you, you perform? You think you're incredible at technical interviews, hate technical <clears throat> interviews, somewhere in between? Yeah, you know, so I've, I've always had kind of a, <laughs> uh, I don't know, a love-hate or kind of like a, a, a mixed bag sometimes. And I think part of it is because I'm purely self-taught. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm, if I'm going to be honest with you right now, after 17 years of professional experience, I'm still a little unsure about the whole, uh, you know, like, um, you know, O-N notation, sure, big O sure. notation stuff. Like I, I have a general sense of it. Um, turns out I've muddled through by saying like, this is a, there's, you know, this should perform linearly. Yeah, yeah. Or like, no, this is going to get a lot bigger. <laughs> yeah, sure. And through my caveman talk, I've managed to do fine. It turns out I can, you know, for, for the one time every like five years that we actually have to be really thoughtful about performance around something, um, you know, we, we make it work. So when you go into an interview, well, when I would go into an interview and that was like, well, the first questions out of the gate is, well, what's the big O notation of this algorithm? I'm just like, I don't know that. Um, I don't think that's actually that big of a problem that I don't know that, but I wonder what you think about it, Mr. Interviewer, right? Like, uh, and so, you know, I can think of far more interviews that I have been in that resulted in offers rather than ones that did not, um, Mm -hmm. you know, so it seems like things were working out okay. Um, I've always been like both in creating interviews and in, you know, in, in the past participating in them. I don't have a lot um, of patience with super contrived stuff, right? Sure. Um, because again, like, I mean, this is your opportunity to get an observation on somebody. And you, ideally, you'd like to observe, can they do the work? Mm-hmm. Like, I, I'm still pretty firmly in the camp of, I interview to find people who can do the work and hopefully bring something like fresh to the table, unique to the table, right? Yeah. But like it starts with, can they do the work? Not can they figure out how many golf balls go on the bus or whatever that crap is, yeah. right? Like I've heard all kinds of people say, no, we hire for smart people. I don't, I guess. <laughs> I mean, I do, but I, I hire smart people who demonstrate that they can do the work and I put like problems in front of them that are, are going to be as, as indicative as they can be of whether they can do the work, right? Yeah. So when I have a, a front-end engineer role, we ask them front-end engineer questions. 
crazy, I know. <laughs> you know, but those are the things we, we focus on. If I'm bringing on a platform engineer, we're going to talk about those sort of things. Um, for a while, we were doing homework assignments. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in the current, current crazy world of um, hiring right now, I've, I've pulled that. Um, yeah. But when it was not crazy like it is now, found it incredibly useful. And I actually got feedback from people. That they kind of enjoyed it because, you know, we would keep it relatively small. It was like two hours that they could throw this thing together. But it was extremely well tailored to like having them do something that was indicative of the kind of work that they would do day in, mm-hmm. day out. Um, you know, they would put together a couple of React components or they would put together a couple of endpoints. And, uh, you know, and, and they felt like, A, they could actually be good at it because this is what they, they did for the most part. And, yeah. and then we could clearly see that, yeah, they can do the work. We're not asking them weird questions just to find out if they're smart. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I, so I work at home chef right now and our, our technical final is basically pairing on a ticket that was a previous ticket of ours. Right. So it's something that um, you get to work with two other engineers and the goal is very much um, really just seeing how, that person works with other people, right? It's like, that's why we do the hmm. pairing and why it's like a real ticket that, that um, could actually be something that they might be working on. Right. And we find there's a pretty good signal um, based off of that, of, of what it's going to be like to, to work with this person. And I think also takes a little of the pressure off. If you're saying like, you don't have to finish, you know, the, you don't have to check all the boxes, right. It's just sure. seeing how you interact. Right. And like, it's your, your problem solving process and what that looks like. Right. Interesting. Have you found that given the fact that it's rooted in a certain, like domain and system, you know, that has complexities. Do you find the candidates sometimes have a, a, a challenge of like trying to, you know, understand enough in order to even know what what is being discussed, like what the work is to be done? Or you guys yeah. are just very, very careful to pick off pieces of work that are uh, kind of standalone? Great question. Um, so when I went through the process, I, I did, kind of interviewed with Home Chef twice. Um, and this most recent one was a very one-off process, but we just did a leak code problem because it was a weird situation. Um, and that's what I was used to, right? Um, but the first time I went through the process, I, I did have some difficulties trying to wrap my head around, okay, I think I asked a lot of questions up top and then we wrote a little bit of code at the end, right? Because um, I was just trying to conceptualize exactly what are we doing? Let me make sure I understand the goal. Okay, now I need to understand like basically how you you know, where everything lives. Cause I, I'd done a little bit of rails work, but I wasn't super familiar with rails. Um, so there was a little bit of that, but I felt like the process was, um, it was still nice in the sense that like the questions I was asking, it didn't feel like, Oh, you should know this already. Right. Or like, why are you asking this dumb question? Um, it was like definitely actually a conversation, right. Which was nice. And I think that was part of the interview was screening for, um, you know, is this person asking these types of questions or are they just staring at the screen hoping yeah. it comes to them? Right. Yeah, no, I, I like that. Cause you, you had mentioned that was the final stage, but yeah. like before that there had been probably some other kind of like more straightforward code problems or something just to make sure that they, they can code like in the environment that they're familiar with and in a like very isolated kind of problem space. Yeah. Yep. No. Uh, as far as technical interviews, do you have any type of system that you've used in the past? Let's say you, you're in an inter- interview where you go, oh, I, I don't have an immediate solution for this, right? I need to start to kind of piece this problem apart. Um, do you have any system you've used to do that? A system. So, so you're saying I'm on, I'm the interviewee? 
and yeah, yep. and like you know trying to just think through how to yeah I, a system is a very strong word um, I think a few a few steps that I take um, one don't panic uh, that start there because I have and it's very embarrassing um, I think the the <laughs> the worst interview moment I've ever had uh, hands down was when I was uh, I was in an interview where they were it was uh, it was also Ruby um, kind of Ruby shop and I've been doing Ruby stuff and inside of Ruby in the enumerable module there is a function called group by and you it takes like a, an array of things and then a, a function and the idea is that it will loop over the uh, over the array with the function and then it will kind of create a, uh, a dict or a map um, yeah. where it was using or I don't I guess I've, I've now I've forgotten exactly how it worked, but something along those lines, right? And he was just like, hey, uh, how would you implement that? And I can't explain why, um, but like my my mind went, went blank. Sure. And then the first place that it went to is, I'm pretty sure I need a tree structure. <laughs> I didn't know what a tree structure was. Like I just heard people talk about this stuff, but somehow I got it stuck in my head to like, oh, this is a hard thing he's asking. Clearly, I need to like the only way to do it is to you know use some some kind of like I think I literally said I don't know I think I need to use a, a red black tree to do this and like I didn't even know what that was I don't know how <laughs> I was supposed to follow that up but I just for some reason I had it in my head that this was hard and it required some kind of knowledge that I didn't have and and the interviewer God bless him he was like well okay maybe let's just actually think about like how would you write some code to do this <laughs> like and, and just you know kind of like push me towards like i bet there's a simpler solution or like maybe just even like a naive solution or something like could you literally just make it work and uh, and i was like oh yeah okay well, let's let's try that uh did not get an offer from those <laughs> folks let me tell you but um i think what i walked away from that experience uh realizing is um you know don't 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 get fancy. Don't try approaching this in a way that would be different than how you would approach whatever you're doing in the day-to-day. -day. You know, mm -hmm. we encounter new problems every day and we have a fairly straightforward like set of tools and approaches usually that we use. Uh, use those. <laughs> um, so, so I do that. Um, you know, definitely something that I like to do first is I like to talk the problem out. This mm -hmm. does a couple things. One is it is useful to the interviewers to hear a candidate just talk through how they're thinking, right? Because even, you know, before writing code, or even if you never even quite got to the right code, you're at least expressing the ability to think and to think programmatically. Um, and, and everybody understands that, uh, you know, look, interviews are hard sometimes. And sometimes like you, you, you spaz out a little bit when it comes to the code, but could they at least like put together coherent sentences and explain how they would go about doing this? And then we'll see if they can literally like implement the thing that they just mm -hmm. talked through. So it's an opportunity to like demonstrate that to, to them. And then it's an opportunity for you to well, literally come up with a solution, like to, to think and talk through it. Um, and once you've talked through it, you'll probably feel a lot more comfortable than putting fingers to the keyboard. Whereas if you just immediately dove in to the keyboard, um, it's easy to start in the right, in the wrong direction. 
Sure. And then not like now you're trying to figure out how to like backtrack or like get, it's so much easier to start from a blank slate than it is like an incorrect slate. So you, you take a bit, you think it through, you express those ideas, um, and then and then you give it give it a shot. You don't want to be halfway through your red black tree before you you know explain what you're doing, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Meanwhile, they're mystified and or yeah. have already like written down we're going to pass on this person <laughs> yeah do you have any other tips or advice for folks who are maybe they're going in the technical interviews um or they're you know they're they're in technical interviews now um let's see here i think the it is fine to say that you don't know how to do something pair it with showing them what you do know sure. and showing what you can do right and i think sometimes those two things actually will get a little, a little like uh, pulled apart. Um, you, you really need, you need both of those things. Um, because certainly anybody understands that, um, our, you know, the, our experiences and, and our knowledge, you know, are, are finite, um, and everybody knows some things better than other things. Right. And so I think the, as an interviewer, you try to, like I said, create room so somebody can demonstrate some awesomeness and so maybe you don't ask like extremely focused questions where you either know it or you don't, and there's nothing in between. Um, sure. And then as the, as the interviewee, I think that you, you know, acknowledge the things that you, that you don't know rather than making things up. It can be tempting to try to make things up or just talk about red black trees, but you don't know what they actually are. Like I did. Um, and what that's actually doing is it's wasting time. Mm. Um, just get off the topic, get out, like create an opportunity to then get on to another question that you can answer very well. Right. Sure. Or use it as an opportunity to say like, Hey, I don't know exactly about that. Here's a similar thing that, you know, that I'm more familiar with and I could talk about that a little bit. And you may find that the interviewer is like, sure, let's go down that road. Or maybe they're like, no, actually let's, let's redirect to something else. Um, but you, you get you get one of those or two of those in an in interview as long as then you're able to get to the stuff where you demonstrate your strength. Right. Much better than just, yeah, making stuff up. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. I, I, I think mentally thinking of it that way too, rather than the no, I don't know this thing. It's no, I don't know this thing. Um, here's something somewhat related, right, that, that, I, that I do know, um, or at least you can pivot to. I, I think of that a lot when it's a very specific technology, right? If a company's using Vue and you've only done React, you can say, no, I don't really have very much Vue experience, but I have worked in React for the last couple of years, right? And like, you're going to have enough similar to talk about, or you're very likely going to have uh, enough to talk about with that person unless they, you know, really, really need um, Vue experience, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think that, you know, you can... Assuming that you've been doing this long enough, that you kind of have a sense of um, not just the, the implementation details, but what are some of the principles that power those, right? Or what are some of the more broad common ideas that then are going to be applicable across multiple stacks um, that are maybe technology agnostic to some extent? Maybe you can talk about that a little bit, um, or at least identify uh, what might be bridges between the you know the stack that they're talking about versus the stack that you know and we can kind of show how you might have some uh some fungible knowledge you know that they can at least demonstrate um, a level of expertise in your neck of the woods and how that might you know transfer at least a little bit 
over to a different area. I think it can be important. Yeah. Um, and then I, I think another thing as well is just, I mean, this is true for all interviews, but it's particularly true, I think, for folks who are, are younger in their career, you know, and they're, they're looking for that, you know, first, second, third job. Um, bring, bring the energy, bring the presence, bring the personality. Like, I mean, you're, you're, you're going to not know a bunch of things. Um, and when, when, you're, when someone is hiring for an entry level or relatively early on um, kind of role, they're looking for somebody with five or fewer you know, years of experience. Um, you know, the manager, they know what they're getting into. They know that they're bringing on someone who could be or even will be a liability for a period of time. But you do it for, uh, you know, a, a number of benefits to to grow the team from within um, to hopefully find some folks who are going to bring um, a lot of the intangibles, a lot of the, the energy, the enthusiasm. Um, I knew a guy who uh, Todd Webb uh, with Resilient, he used to talk about the benefits of apprenticeship being uh, similar to the benefits of having walk ons on a college football team. The idea that like these were not the people who had been recruited and that you like paid scholarship money to come to your school and like be a football player. These are just the people who, you know, they're studying biology and they just love football and they just want to play football. And they came out and they tried out against a bunch of people who are totally better than them. But, you know, they're, they're this walk on. They bring a certain energy with them that is meaningful it's it's meaningful to the team and like you want some of that on there and so think about uh you know if you're not going to be the super senior engineer on on the team right you're you're going to be like part of the cast you're going to be part of the team you might be bench warming a little bit you know you might be like second string safety but how how do you bring that walk on energy how do you be the person that people want to see grow the people want to like have you looking over their shoulders while, while they're getting something done so that you're learning and growing and investing in the team. If you can figure out how to be that person, you're essentially trying to uh, reduce the risk of the hiring manager that A, this person's gonna be a pain in my ass, and B, um, you know, the, this person is not going to learn as fast as I need them to be. Mm -hmm in order to like give me an ROI out of this whole thing. Sure. And so those are the two things that you're really looking to um, reduce those risks by the way that you are presenting yourself in these, uh, yeah, in these situations. Yeah, totally. As someone who's definitely for better or worse, got, gotten through interviews based off of, you know, maybe bringing a little energy and some theater background, uh, <laughs> I would I'd say it, it does work, but it also is, I think a more pleasant experience for the interviewer, right? Like oh, if, yeah. if you're doing interviews on a regular basis, you talk to, sometimes you talk to several people a day. And by the end of the day, you know, that on top of everything else you've done in that day, you barely remember, right? And the person that like actually, you know, doesn't have to be something crazy, but just made some type of connection or you remember like, oh, that was like a pleasant conversation we had, right? That stands out a lot when, when you have, you know, it's a pile of resumes <laughs> you're turning. Oh from, my gosh, right? yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, we are all humans and we're humans first, you know, like we're, we're people. So like create connections with the people um, that, that you are, are with and help. I mean, interviewing. Yeah. Like you said, it can be, it can be such a drag. It can be a drag yes. for everybody. You can have a room just full of miserable people. Um, anything that you can do in order to subvert that is going to be a real positive. 
Sure. Well, before we take our break here um, and, and move into the technical portion, uh, you mentioned one earlier, but are there any interviewing horror stories you have um, that you want to share that maybe folks can relate to and say, oh, I could, I one day too could, you know, be a director of engineering, even if a terrible thing happens to me? <laughs> yeah, you know, I was thinking about that. I think so in the same interview, because this is how bad this interview went um, <laughs> as the group by freak out um, earlier in it, which I think is perhaps why I was in more of a fragile mental state. Um, the, the, so I, it was an on-site interview back in the good old days sure. and they want, they had a computer set up for me to use for the coding piece of it. Um, and theoretically that was supposed to be nice because the environment was, was set up. They like had stubs set up, uh, you know, so I just need to sit down and do it, but, but they had, they were using GVIM, which is like, okay. you know, graphical VIM, but it was like a particular, and, and I use Vim, um, but it was configured differently enough that I felt like a complete idiot. Like I was having a, I was fighting the keyboard the entire time because they just, they had a few different keys configured in different ways. And like, I was, I was used to still being able to like the Vim that I would use, you could still use the mouse in order to choose different panels and things like that. And this one was not, and it was, the the environment was challenging enough that I just ended up being slow and feeling like I was f just fiddling around the whole time sure. and just felt incompetent and, and probably looked incompetent and did not even finish the, uh, you know, what was supposed to be finished by the end of the time uh, because of the environment piece. And so that's perhaps that's one reason why I'm um, I mean, even before the pandemic, before everything was over Zoom, I would always tell the recruiters like, we're going to use their computer. Like uh, they can screen share or they can bring their own computer in and I'll just look at their screen and like anything that we can do for them to be in as comfortable of a engineering environment as possible so they can do their thing. So I can get an observation of what they can actually do rather than, you know, whatever that was with GVIM. <laughs> I think the only other thing that stood out as well as the, um, and this was actually, I was fine with it. But it's the worst question that I ever got um, in an interview. And I think the guy thought he was clever or, or thought this was a good <laughs> idea. But he, he was just like, hey, so for the next hour, I want you to just show me something you've learned lately. And I was like, oh, OK, that's interesting. Okay. That's cool. All right. And like I was I was constantly learning new stuff. And so I had no problem with that. So I was sharing how I'd been uh, learning, uh, uh, not, not Erlang, but Elixir. Um, I, I'd been playing around with Elixir and like, it was, you know, really cool. And I was like showing some of the features of it and stuff like that. But I also like, part of the problem was that, yeah, I'd been looking at Elixir for like a few days sure. and I could like basically give, you know, talk about just the most surface level, uh, parts of Elixir. And that's what I've been learning recently. And then he was like, oh, well, I was kind of hoping you were going to talk about like OTP and how like the, mul you know, multiple processes are, are managed and things like that. I was like, well, then why didn't you ask that question? <laughs> you just asked me what I've been learning lately. I literally told you. So, uh -huh. you know, when you ask a question, yeah, be prepared for them to actually, you know, answer the question that you gave. <laughs> sure. Right. But you're at Hello World and they're expecting, you know, <laughs> the, the exactly. very specific uh, yeah. details. Yeah. Or even like, yeah, uh, show me something that will impress me. I don't think I would use that, but that's a, that's a better question because yeah. at least it lets you know, like, okay, let me think about, you know, 
something that's like more impressive that I can show off. And, you know, that would at least uh, hopefully help the interviewer reduce the risk or create the opportunity for awesome that they were looking for. And instead he just got a intro to Elixir. <laughs> <laughs> Great. Well, let's take a quick break here. And then when we come back, uh, we'll move another technical portion. All right. Thank you for watching the first half of the professional technical interviewee. The technical interview will be released one week from this episode. So be sure to subscribe to make sure you don't miss it. New episodes are released on the first four Thursdays of each month. Find us on YouTube at youtube.com slash Dorset or on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes. And remember, keep practicing.